catalog and cocktails. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here's your hosts, Juan Cicada and Tim Gasper. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's Wednesday, and it's time for Catalog and Cocktails. This is a weekly live hangout, an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, and joined by my co-host, Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's Wednesday, and always thrilled to take a break and chat about data, have a drink. And today we have a very special guest. As always, our guests are super special. Uh, Chris Berg from Data Kitchen. And one of the things that I love about the work that Chris has been doing is all on the data ops and the data ops manifesto. So this is going to be a really fantastic discussion. Chris, cheers. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm good. I'm having a, uh, since my company's in New England, I'm having an Allagash White, a Belgian. Um, I also have a Chime set up in case you, it gets really heavy and I got to go on to beer number two. So oh, you're prepared, nice. very well prepared. <laughs> prepared. Kudos. <laughs> yeah. So just a quick reminder, just to, hey, everybody who's listening, uh, rate us. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow, up, follow us on Spotify. We would really, really appreciate that. We, uh, we appreciate everybody who's our little listeners. We're, we're just excited to see how the podcast is going. Uh, and also a reminder, next week is the Knowledge Graph Conference from May 3rd to 6th, and we're going to have a special edition of Cataloging Cocktails, where I'll be moderating the Data Architecture Panel with Shamak Digani from ThoughtWorks, Teresa Tung from Accenture, and JU from Intuit. Uh, so if you're listening, you can get a 10% discount with the code CCKBC. You'll get your tickets at knowledgegraph.tech. And with that, well, where did we drinking and what are we toasting for? So you're drinking beer, Chris. How about you, Yeah, Tim? from Milwaukee, you get beer. <laughs> nice. I feel like I should bring beer more often to cataloging cocktails. I've been pretty purist about uh, about cocktails and spirits, but uh, um, you know, there's a lot of beer options out there too. I love Chimay. That's great. Yeah. So what are you drinking, Tim? I am just keeping it simple. I got a little bit of a Glenlivet 12 here that I'm sipping on. So that's that's what I got. What about you, Juan? Well, I was challenged by your by folks on your side, Chris, through Twitter to say, hey, well, what was I going to go drink? And they said, you should do a maracuya caipirinha. And guess what? Here's a maracuya caipirinha. I have, I'm having some caipirinha for that. One of our friends, Taizi, gave me a while ago. And I uh, got some passion fruit uh, syrup. I even got passion fruit sparkling water. So wow. I'm ready for it. Wow, so that is very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what we, I want to toast for Michael Collins, third man on the moon. He passed away today at the age of 90. Cheers to Michael Collins. That's what I'm cheers to. Yeah. Cheers to that too. I got my NASA hat here, so I'll, I'll give a nod there. Well, we got uh, one of our warm-up questions today, our time to, 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 to break the ice. And this is something that's been inspired from previous conversations with Chris is, worst reason you've been called into work on your day off? <laughs> Chris, I'm sure you have a lot of stories here, so kick us off with one. Oh, as a manager, I agreed with a data engineer when they hoped his fix would work. And he's like, oh, it'll work. And then it didn't. And then it was Saturday and I had to go in and help him fix it because his hope of it didn't work, didn't make the deadline on Friday. So that's the worst. The worst is not only... 
I kind of had the feeling it wouldn't work. And then I trusted his hope it didn't work. And then lo and behold, it didn't work. So it's like a double. <laughs> oh, no. You know, like, we we, uh, we push a, a code at data.world like a thousand times a year. But one of the things that we try not to do is push code on Fridays. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope is your enemy, man. If you hope things work and don't know it, it's uh, it's good to do every once in a while. But like, man, don't get into a hopeful situation. Right. Um, I, I think my worst story in this situation is probably I, uh, a long time ago, back in college, I used to work at uh, an old Navy uh, and uh, we uh, got like robbed uh, and, and they had messed up a bunch of stuff in the store. Um, and so I got called in on my day off because they still wanted to open and, and have customers. And so they were like, well, let's just get things organized. We'll call in other people up from their off day and get the whole store reset. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Wow. You thought always about data, too. So today I learned that. Did they, did they like steal T-shirts and chinos or like what? what's uh, I can't imagine wanting to rob an old Navy. Right. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, let's get into the discussion. And uh, I always like to kick it up with the, the honest, no BS question. So we, we, we've always we've been hearing about DevOps for a while now. And now everyone gets an ops. You get an ops. We all get an ops. Okay, have an op. There's ops for everything. But, <laughs> all right, Chris, honest, honest, no BS. What is data ops? But also, what is not data ops? Start with both sides. Whoa, whoa, man, you're throwing some good questions at me. Like, what is data ops? So, you know, the best way is to answer it in a story. And the, the story is kind of my life story in some ways. So, I was a software engineer for 15 years and wrote a bunch of code and then had the bright idea to do data and analytics um, in 2005, and everything went to hell. Um, you know, my things were late. I trusted my engineers to hope, and I didn't trust them sometimes. And things were breaking, and we never could go quite fast enough for my boss or our customers. And I, you know, we had delivered analytics to thousands of people, and it is not fun when you have data errors and you've rolled it out to thousands of people. And I had to sort of leading the team, I had to go and like apologize and tuck my tail in between my head. And so like to me, data ops is the journey to be able to have a sane life. Um, and I guess what I realized is that insanity was rooted not in the fact that we didn't have a cool tool. Um, and it wasn't about, you know, Tableau versus Cognos or SQL versus Informatica or R versus Python. It really just wasn't in that. It was about building a system. And so, um, to me, it feels like there's a bunch of system-wide challenges and how to run data and analytic teams that I put under data ops. So it's definitely in the people and process idea more than technology. And, and for me, it's intertwined with my own personal leadership journey. So when I speak about it, I also speak about, well, how, how the heck do you manage a bunch of smart data scientists and data engineers and people who do data visualization and data governance? And, and how do you do that? And, and, and sort of not kill yourself <laughs> as a leader. So this is truly an honest answer. What is data ops? Data ops is a way to have the same life. Yeah. 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 To me, that's it. It's a way to have a sane life. And I had for many, many years an awful life. And like, you know, my, I would complain about my boss. I complain about my employees. And like, it was all very outward focused. Like it's someone else's problem. And I think, the journey for me was realizing that as a leader, it was my leadership problem that was there. It wasn't me. I didn't work for a jerk, even though he was kind of a jerk. And I didn't work, have 
employees who weren't good enough or customers who were too demanding. It was um, it was that I hadn't built the system to make that work. So, it's, so, it's, so here's, you're also bringing up another interesting point, which is taking responsibility and being a leader of the data. Because I think this is what we see a lot is that there is no ownership. It's like something broke. Well, who is it? You point it yeah, yeah, it's your fault. It's or it's not. It's the thing. It's the technology. The technology's yeah. fault, right? So go call the vendor, whatever. But no, wait. Somebody's there's a human who needs to be involved in this. And we want to go automate everything anyways, but still there are there this is the people and processes part. Like somebody needs to take ownership and responsibility. There needs to be accountability about this. Yeah. And if people think about it that way, then they're gonna stand up. But if we don't, yeah, it, we don't tell it's kind of hard to solve that with a technology, right? Yeah, I mean that's it's a it's a it's a process methodology aspect that you have to figure out here, right? And an ownership aspect. Yeah, and an attitude, right? Because one thing is things are always going to go wrong, right? You're never data systems are constantly changing, and things are always going to break, and so you're always going to get crappy data from your data providers, no matter what, and so. Um, you're going to get screwed. So, so deal with it and build a system that is allows you to live through being screwed. Um, and I think um, since we're doing sort of the no shit version here, it's, it's not, um, we've all built data systems and all had people who dropped columns or changed the meaning of data on us and sort of not told us. Right. <laughs> and like, that's going to happen. And how do you live with it? And, uh, and finger pointing just doesn't help. You know, it's, it's, we're, we are, uh, it's a, and anyone who does data and analytics is always caught in the squeeze between the people who provide the data, the people who want insight, and you don't control either. And so that can just lead to a rat hole of like, honestly, it's, it, it can, I've seen, and I've felt it sort of depression and you just like don't want to get up at the work in the morning. And like, why? And you see that there's, I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, one of my favorite stories is a guy at a conference who told me at his daughter's seventh birthday, on a Saturday, he was sitting on the bathtub edge with the door closed, changing a data fix, doing a data fix. <laughs> his daughter's seventh birthday. He's like, oh, I mean, man. we got to get people out of this mess, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah, we got to get that's my get people out of this mess. That is not a sign of success. You're not being a <laughs> devoted employee, you know, wearing the hair shirt of hard work and, and heroism is just not, uh, not a good way to live. And actually, it burns people out, they quit the field. They go on to different things, or they just leave a mess, and they move. Right. They move from job to job. Well, and it seems like the you know the software side of the world has really tried to latch on to sort of the DevOps movement and and sort of modern testing approaches and things like that to uh, to try to you know just deal with the fact that stuff breaks, right? Obviously, we're going agile, we're moving fast. Like you have to accept that things will break, kind of like what you said, right? Um, and then you put in these these systems, these methodologies, these approaches, and these attitudes to deal with that fact. Data has been a little slower to 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 move to that realization and, and start to treat the world of data a little bit like how we're treating the world of software now. Uh, what do you think about you know how that lag has happened and 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 how is the data how is the data world actually starting to move towards data, DevOps or, or I'm sorry data ops? Like, what are the key tenets that you really point to? Well, I'm not sure the software world's all the way there, but I, I do have distinct memories in my own career of 1996 working on an internet website and force rebooting the SGI server and kicking all the hundreds of thousands of people chatting on our website off uh, because that was our version of uptime was like fix the code on the server. Mm -hmm. um, and so in a lot of ways, there's still people in data and analytics who do that. They patch a running system or they, you know, they, they, they go. And so that's not the greatest way to work. And so I think what happened in my mind is the realization that the system 
and the how is more important than the what and the particular. And so the how is how you work, how you build the system, how you deploy, how you monitor. And those things were actually kind of, when I was a, you know, writing Java in the 90s, those were for lesser people. It's like, ah, oh, you deal with like, I toss it over to you. You're not as good of an engineer as I am. I, you go deal with it. I wrote the cool stuff. It, and I think there's a, a certain part of that in the data world. I built the model. That's the cool part. You guys handle the rest. And so I think we all own the system. And if we build the system, and I also think part of it is just is that data ops is cool. It's it's cool to have a system wide view of things and and understand it. And it's actually a good career path for people. And it happened like DevOps engineers are as important to software development as the people who write the code. And you could argue in some ways more. And they're paid right. more, and they're hard to hire. <laughs> so it's it's a real talent. And, and what, what, I, what is that? Is this a new role that we're seeing? We call I mean, there's DevOps engineers, or the data ops engineers, or and how is that related to data engineers and and and, and data scientists and, and yeah, or, or on or, the knowledge scientists and all the data teams and all like how does where does this fit in? Right. Well, the first of all, the word data ops is kind of being abused, right? So you read something and. You read data ops, and it's just another name for everything that we've always done in data and analytics. So hence my original data question, what is not data ops? <laughs> it's not everything that you do in data and analytics, right? It's not like, hey, oh, okay, we do some ETL. We have a data ops tool, you know? And so that's not it. It's it's about uh, people and processes. And so I think, um, it, I think there is a role, and I've seen it in job postings and titles where people are giving themselves the title of a data ops engineer. And there aren't education tracks yet, but it's very similar to what you'd have skills that are kind of the intersection of someone who does data engineering and someone who does DevOps and kind of take that combination and maybe a little data science thrown in. But I, I think there's a, there's a role in our, in our team. And I, I, how about you just think of it in a different way? The best software teams spend 23% on average of their effort on the system and not the particular, on the how and not the what they do. So on deployment, on testing, on automation. And look at it from a, a data and analytics team that has data engineers and data scientists. What percent do you think that is? Two, three, <laughs> yeah. you know, done, done with a beer on a Friday night. Um, and so what if we just put more time into it? Who cares what the role is? What if we just put a little bit more time into it? I think so, you're gonna actually see a lot of great, uh, great results. So what is, what is your ideal data team? Like what is, somebody's gonna, please spec out what you think is gonna be the ideal team. And is there an ideal team that, a style of team that people can go in and like a cookie cutter or it's gonna depend a lot on different factors from, an, uh, from within an organization? Uh, you know, my, first of all, my, my I, I'm, I deal with people who are just at the start of their data ops journey. Right. And so I want them to start doing data ops and not care too much about titles. Um, as you get more in your journey, you're going to realize that you've got to spend a percentage of your time to it. And there are people who are really into it. And so they want to set up teams and provide tool chains for people to use and take that burden on. And so I started to see teams that are set up. I started to, I saw my first data ops managed service RFP come across my desk today. And so you need to, um, uh, I, I think it needs to be part of your team, and as you do more of it, it's a defined role. And it's a, a, a and is there a career path and an education system set up for it yet? I, no, no, there's not. 
Interesting. Is the fact that, uh, you know, an RFP is coming across related to this kind of stuff. Like, is that a good sign? Is that a sign of progress or is yeah. that a sign of, uh, of misdirection? No, it's a sign of progress, right? If somebody wants to do data ops and wants to do it as a managed service and not, not buy software to it. They want to, they want to buy the, they want to buy the, um, they're buying technology. You just said it's more about people and processes. That's right. But someone's got to do the work, right? And so someone's got to, Someone's got to be able to work on how you deploy your code into production. Someone's got to write automated tasks. Someone's got to give you test data to work with. Those are tasks that need to be done and need to be staffed. And so I think if you're, most people who do data science or data engineering are interested in the cool nugget. I want to do the model and I want to do the transformation. I want to do the great visual. And that's awesome because they want to make their customers successful. But the stuff around it is also really interesting. And someone's got to be in charge of that. It's not working. Yeah, I mean, I call it, you got to feed the data. You got to, it comes in, in, and in that flow of things, things are, things are going to go break. And so people need to take responsibility. And, and then the person who consumes that, they take responsibility of the result of what they're doing. And they're hoping that whatever comes to them, they can go trust. Yeah. Um, but then, but, but it's still, I mean, the question still arises of, of who, okay, let's not talk about roles then, but let's talk about people and processes. What are the types of characteristics or skills that we need to go have with that should be managing this flow? Or is it just a combination of existing folks out there, existing roles of data engineers and so forth? Well, well, yeah, let's, someone, someone asked a question. So what's your strategy to do with drop columns and renamed elements, right, in a data feed? And so my strategy is to know that happened as soon as possible, right? So that means writing automated tests that check the data feed and tell you if it's got the same number of columns or if they've renamed the elements or if some size or volume changes, right? And I don't think that that's a, someone's got to write that test, right? And that test has got to be run as soon as the data arrives or at least before you actually do your, you know, your, your build uh, if you're working in batch. And so that, that's a, so who's going to write that test? Well, maybe it's your data engineer, maybe it's a data ops engineer. Maybe the data engineer writes the SQL and the data ops engineer puts it in the framework and does the notifications and does the follow-up. And then when it happens, who's going to respond to it? Because if your build happens overnight, someone's going to be able to have to pick that up and, and notify and then go back to the people who provided your data who were very nice to actually rename, <laughs> drop some columns on the data feed and rename data elements for you uh, without telling you. Um, and so I think that, that is, that's the world that we de deal in. And, and so instead of waiting to the end of and seeing that your customer finding the problem, you push the pain forward and notice it as soon as possible. And you build a system to make sure that that happens. And so to me, that's a, um, I call that a testing, you could call it a monitoring class, a checking class, a, a task, or some people call it observability, but get into the data and see if it's what you expect. Right. And, you know, there's a, a topic that we've been talking with a, a few guests now that seems kind of closely related to this, which is the idea of, you know, treating your data more like a product um, and, and data product management, right? And, you know, is part of this sort of test-driven approach to data um, and, and, and really thinking about the pipeline that produces your data, not just, hey, I got to get it into this, this place looking like this way, right? Um, is that a big part of this as well? That's making this, this sort of transition to dev or data ops more, uh, more needed, more prominent, more obvious. Yeah. Cause I think you could even call it like people are, 
want their data and analytic teams to be like Amazon. They want a new package of insight every day, right? Mm -hmm. They want to order it and say, well, what about this question? What about that question? And, and follow up. And that means you're building a continuous stream of insights to your customers. And so it's a product, but it's actually think of it like a SaaS product. It's always, you're always updating it. You're sort of, there's never a done point on it. And you're not constructing a house and walking away. You're trying to enable a set of changes to your living SaaS product. And to do that, um, you know, to me at like the 10,000 foot level, I look at, at data and analytics as almost a random walk to insight. You know, you, you wanna, your customer by the insight, you try this, try this, try this, and you finally get to the point. And then of course they have more follow-up questions. And so I just believe good in, data and analytic teams are focused on delivering good insight um, trying to accelerate their ability to answer questions with their customers and doneness isn't, you're never quite done. And I think that that is a good thing. Follow-up questions are the good thing. Asking more questions, new data sets are good. So I think it's, um, I, I think that that's right. It's data as a continuous SaaS product. Now, another thing that has come up a lot, and, and this is one of the big topics uh, with the popularity of the data mesh, for example, is this whole balance between centralization and decentralization. How, how do you, is data ops something that needs to be centralized? Is this going down to the, is, is it decentralized and every data team for every domain will do this? Is it a balance? I mean, you're saying you, you work a lot with people who are starting on this journey. I guess, do they start trying to think about decentralized or they start being centralized? How do they transform later on? Appreciate your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a big fan of domain-driven design and, and, and data mesh. And I've kind of, without giving it a name, we've been working in our own way in the last 15 years in that, because it sort of makes engineering sense, right? That if you, the real best way to make your customers successful is to have teams of people who know the data, right? And if you're going to have some data engineers, have them work in that domain and know the data. And then if they're going to have to add more to it, they get to, uh, they, and the same thing with data scientists and the same thing with people who do data visualization. So the idea of having a, a team focused on a domain and not just like servicing requests across every freaking data set in the company, um, I think is really good. And then building your uh, technology to do that. And I also think there's another linkage, not between domains in, because uh, the, the data mesh talks a lot about sort of the decomposition of the data warehouse and the, and the data lake into more domains. It also has to do with the sort of hub and spoke model that is in a lot of organizations where um, central IT teams have a bunch of data and there's decentralized data self-service visualization teams, self-service data prep teams, data science teams who are taking advantage of that across the world. And so I think you've got these two aspects of, um, of collaboration across um, domains and a domain-driven design and between the hub and the spoke in a self-service world. And I think those things have to... Um, you have to think intentionally about how you're going to be able to get those teams to work together to collaborate and how the artifacts that they build can be tested and deployed and automated in a data ops way. So it seems like these things have to, uh, that your data mesh approach is going to be that much more effective and that much more collaborative if you can really take to heart the principles of data ops and, and embed that in with how you're approaching your, both your data uh, domain driven architecture, but also sort of the governance aspects that kind of sits on top of the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a domain, I, I mean, data mesh 
is another sort of idea of how to deal with complexity, right? And, and saying, let's not throw everybody together on one team and everyone's perfectly fungible. Let's give them some domain at which they can have expertise and then work on the interfaces to that domain to other parts of the system. And in software that sometimes is called a service or a microservice. Um, and we didn't really have a name for it, I think, until the idea of a data mesh. And I think that's a good, a good engineering principle. Um, and the sort of hub and spoke model is kind of out of the bag because self-service kind of works, right? Right. Um, and, and if you're going to take that case of like um, someone's changed and added a column to your schema without you knowing it, well, how do you ripple that across? Well, maybe you change your warehouse and the views of that warehouse, but then how do the self-service people know about it in their reports? How do you make sure that they don't have any problems? And so I think it's um, how do you then update your data catalog with that? And so just the ripple of the adding a column or changing the meaning of a column, how do you think about how to do that across a mesh or between hub and the spokes? That, that's a really right. important process to work on because that's going to cause errors, which is going to cause slowness. And you don't want to have more meetings. <laughs> what you want to do is a technical system. You want to solve that with tech, not with like discussions and Word documents. Yeah, no, no more meetings, please. Um, yeah, you know, I, one of the questions here in the chat reminds me of, uh, of, a, of a broader question. So the question is, you know, what kinds of metadata management and semantic tools do you use? And, you know, we talked a little bit about... Um, process and 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 sort of methodology being really the keys to to data ops uh, but um, but obviously technology can help um, you know you, you mentioned data catalog you know what, what technologies do you see are most sort of complementary or important or the data ops kind of wraps around right is it, is it the tools that everyone's already using right it's it's if you're using Python if you're using Jupyter like that that you're wrapping it around all that stuff well, what's what's your perspective on well, how I think version control plays? version controlling everything's really good yeah and I think, you know, including- Start with Git. Uh, yeah, Git. Yeah, I think Git is an important part. Everything that you do, because data ops is actually less, it's misnamed. It's actually less focused on the data and more about the code that's acting upon the data. And whether that's central or decentral in one domain or the other, that, that's all got to go in Git. Yeah. Like, well, how often are your analysts actually committing their SQL code into a Git repo or their Python code to a Git repo? Hopefully yeah. most of the time. But if the answer is not, then that's, that's rare. It's on a share drive. Google said the magic word, hope. <laughs> Hopefully one can always hope. <laughs> yeah, one can always hope. Yeah. And, and it's the realization that we're kind of all software developers and we don't, and we're in the complexity business. So version controls one. And then um, when you're doing things two or three or four times manually, can you write a script to automate it? I think that's a really important part. It's just, um, and uh, don't see, um, and then I think uh, ways to automate the testing of your data, the processes that are acting upon your data, your models, your workbooks. And even I, I think that honestly, data catalogs should be in Git. The, the, the definition of the catalog should be in version control, right? And you add a column to a database, well, you should ripple it in the SQL, in the model, the, the visualization, and in your catalog all at the same time. And you should deploy that as a one unit. And because that way, governance isn't left to like a bag at the end, you know, or someone forgets. It's part and parcel. And so I'm like a big fan of sort of metadata as code or governance as code. Um, and I, I, so I appreciate how you're how you're 
responding to this question about tools of not just throwing vendors out there, but just like, the, it's just an honest thing. Just use the basic things, use Git, right? Just write tests and that stuff can be code. Like that's that's your baseline. You can probably go off and do fancy things. Uh, there's all these vendors now doing data observability, all this stuff, right? You can go buy them and do that stuff. But I mean, if you don't have a, pra a well-founded, just start with the foundation of something. Like I think, just start with that. Like, let's just go make sure that whatever code that we have, which, which I love what you just said is uh, data ops is about not, it's not it's it's not just about the data it's really about the code around the data well there's first of all make sure you're writing code and second make sure you're checking in that code and you're running that code for tests like you don't need any fancy tools to go do that start with something yeah. later on you realize okay maybe this other tool will make my life easier but under have a baseline i think this is something important that we just start jumping into like i'm going to go buy this new tech or whatever and then, and then yeah just, i mean i you know yeah. I, i'm a founder of a software company right we're bootstrapped we want customers right but like i think it's better to start small and so write some tests. Here's another thing I advise, start a quality circle. So every time you have a screw up, write it down in a spreadsheet, a Google doc. And then every three weeks, sit down with everyone involved and say, is there some way we can avoid this in the, in the past and get away from blame and shame and love your errors and find some opportunities to improve. And you know what, after six months, you're suddenly going to have a lot less errors and you're suddenly going to have more time to do more fun stuff. And so that one change in mindset of like, let's avoid errors. Let's not worry about them. It's someone else's problem. Just write them down and work on them as a thing to fix and improve. It actually, in my 2006, that, you know, I was reading Deming and I was talking to Toyota and I did a quality circle with my data engineers. And like it actually, the biggest change was just the attitude towards errors. And instead of being embarrassed and afraid, it's like, hey, I found a good error. Wow, we got an opportunity to automate this away. Awesome, you know, great. This. this is great. Well, this is what I, I mentioned before is like, we have to be comfortable. We have to embrace friction. It's fine if we don't agree. It's fine if, if like, let's just, let's be transparent about this. Otherwise we're just gonna be hiding those skeletons in the closet and then People are going to leave and like, why did this fail? Oh, well, we find this out. is a cultural thing, right? I mean, uh, there's a lot of cultures that are, you know, oh, it's a bug. Oh, God. And you become scared of it. You 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 try to ignore it. You you know, uh, you know, you have to set the right culture in place. And that seems to be a big, a big piece of being able to get data ops working well. Yeah. And I mean, I've I have made the mistake of firing people because I thought they were the fault. And like. It turns out, if you read Deming, 94% of the time, things are errors in the process people work in than a specific cause because somebody's being an idiot. And I think so- also the need to have, have a manager, have a leader of the data team. What we, what we talked a lot before is have a data product manager who can understand the relationship between the people who are consuming stuff and understand, manage and present a way, a process to go follow such that we don't, end up blaming a person when it's not a person. It's a, bit, a much broader aspect. Needs to be yeah, yeah. And imagine like, you know, and it's, there's not a lot of love for middle management in this world, but imagine you're a middle manager of a data team and, you know, your, your data team's screwing up. It's pretty easy to find that person who um, you don't like and blame them and say, if I just got rid of them, things are going to be better. And it gives you some breathing room and, 
And it's really actually quite hard to say, wow, 94% of the time, it's kind of my fault because I haven't built the system to enable my people to be successful. It actually kind of sucks. <laughs> like I remember reading Deming and going 94% of the time, if that's really true in factories, it's certainly true in my data and analytics factory, if it's true in cars. So that's my fault, crap. <laughs> and so uh, it's it's really hard to like do to make that change from a leadership standpoint. I know there's a lot, not a lot for middle managers, and I happen to love middle managers. I've been one for a while, um, but like it is uh, it is a, a part of my. That's why I say data ops is really intermingled with my own personal leadership journey. No, I, I I love this conversation, and I think that. Um, Honestly, this is good to hear for middle managers who are in the data landscape because it gives you more degrees of control and power to, yeah, yeah, it can be frustrating to be like, oh gosh, it's a harder problem than just an individual. But now you have the ability to affect change in more ways and probably more sustainable and better ways. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's it. That's, to me, it's about empowerment, right? You can, if you can empower you and your team to, rather than sort of being a passive part passive acceptance of errors and changes and and you you sort of sit there with this gruff attitude of like I'm you know I'm I'm sort of Joe Lunchpail and bad things are going to happen to me um, which is a, a pattern in data people that I um, you can actually take take charge of it and fix it and improve it and it's not going to happen overnight but it is a it is a, a way to uh, work it and this is and it, it, it's not new man this is People figured this out with factories 50, 70 years ago, right? That's why Toyota beat American Motors, right? It's not because Toyota had better robots, you know, or American Motors people were lazy. Right, um, right. And why the heck are some are some of these big software companies kicking the butt of the world? Because they figured out how to do things quickly with high quality. They can, and so um, why are people all afraid of, you know, Amazon? It's because Amazon fig figured out how to like get small groups of people hyper empowered to go and go after things. Yeah, when they're solving problems, they're doing it with uh, with the force of a of a of a well honed process and approach, right? Yeah, and they've the the two pizza team, and and I think agility in that sense, whether it's building a factory or building good software, um, makes for fearsome competitors. And I think <laughs> um, and I think if you get that right, you're actually your team is is can be just can add a, a huge amount of value to your company and help it be a much better competitor. Because that's, that's what we're trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. Another topic that we've, that we've had a lot is about the, the efficiency versus resilience, right? You want to be able to have this balance, but you want to make sure that you're, I think data ops is a way of thinking, making sure I'm setting up a foundation so I can be resilient. Data is going to break. I want that stuff to keep working or let me know when it's not working. So. I think this is a great transition for this new kind of little segment that we're starting to do called the honest no BS lightning round. And, and so we got a couple of questions that Chris has no idea what they are. And it's a, it's a yes or no answer. And then we'll give you a couple of 15, 30 seconds to go uh, have a quick follow-up. And first one that we have for you, and I think it's a great follow-up is, is data ops a process or a methodology? Process methodology or, or process and methodology um, my answer is, uh, is, is that it's, 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 it's more of a methodology than a process that your team applies to their tools and how they work with each other. So 
I'm not exactly sure what they mean by the difference between process and methodology, but I, I, I it sounds more like a methodology to me. All right, that makes sense. Uh, all right, here's the second question. Um, can data ops be a technology or at least can I buy DevOps tools? Well, I hope so. Cause like I've been spending my last eight years of my life. So yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Sounds like you got one of those. <laughs> if it's not, you know, I'm going to be kind of embarrassed. <laughs> so yeah, I hope so. I mean, we got customers, they pay us money. So yeah. <laughs> so should I try to get a DevOps certification or DevOps training? Uh, sorry, data ops certification or data ops training? Uh, right now, no, because none of them are, all of them are kind of BS, honestly. A lot of them are like, get trained on my tools, and they don't actually teach you. There's a partner of ours, Kinesis, who's actually starting a training program that I, that I agree with that actually trains you on the real thing. Um, so it's, uh, I, I would talk to them when they roll that out. Right, but right so now, no, like, because the ones are, out today are BS. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, they are because they're like, here's a training on my tools. And, and that's not, that's not data. Yeah. Here, here's so, how you write tests our way or something like that versus no, it's not even uh, how to write tests. Write here's, good how tests to our, right? here's how to use our, um, you know, IBM's a partner of ours and they're great, but their data ops certification is how to use their tools. It's not how to do data ops. Mm. Mm. Um, all right. Uh, fourth question here. Um, will adding data ops to my resume increase my salary? <laughs> <laughs> no, right now, no. It's like, I mean, <laughs> how many words do you have to put in your freaking resume? Like it could help you um, search and there are people hiring for data ops experience, right? All right. But, so um, maybe you do a little bit of keyword stuffing, but don't go overboard. Don't go overboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Tim, t take us away with our takeaways. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, Chris, this has been great. We really appreciate this session here. And uh, and uh, we, we we had an opportunity to chat with you a little bit at the Data.World Summit, which was uh, a month or so ago. We had some great chats here, uh, there as well. So really appreciate it. Again, great takeaways here. Some of the biggest things that I wrote down were, um, you know, first of all, uh, taking responsibility around your data. And, uh, and, and leadership and ownership is so important. It's been a theme across a lot of, of these shows that we've done. And in the world of data ops, it seems to be very, very core. And so to, to hear that be repeated and to be central to this is, is really great. Uh, and your comment about systems thinking versus just sort of linear or just, you know, maybe pure agile thinking, I think is very important to think about, you know, software engineers spending 23% of their effort on the system versus the what, um, you know, you really have to think about that in the data landscape. Like how do we create these more resilient, repeatable, sustainable approaches? Um, I, I love that. I, I think that's a really great takeaway. Um, Juan, what about you? Well, the definition of data ops, so the, the honest, no BS definition of, of data ops. It's a way to have a sane life, but also note that data ops is a misnomer, right? It's more about the code that's actually acting on the data instead of the data itself. Um, I love this notion that you presented the, the quality circle, right? When something screws up, let's write it down. Let's go share it. And then let's go back a couple of weeks later and let's go say, hey, can we improve this? And how can we improve this? Um, learn to love your errors. I think that's something fundamental here is, is, is like, just be open about it. And then when it comes to technology, it's like, just start with the stuff that you already have. Are you using Git? Can you write tests? Write those tests. Can you write scripts, automate them? Like you can start with this and you don't need to go start buying any fancy tool around that. I think that's that's really crucial way to, how to start with that. 
And Chris, now back to you is uh, two our final two questions. One is, what's your advice? Very general, broad, whatever you want. And second, who should we invite next? Um, what's your advice? So, I, you know, I, I think here's a, here's a, a, a guy who's 57, been in the tech industry 30 years. I think um, you gotta be a bit more forgiving of yourself. And so it's like, love your errors to yourself because we're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna try some stuff. And, you know, if you're, if you're not making mistakes, you're something's wrong. So, you know, be a bit more forgiving um, because you don't have to be perfect and don't worry about what other people think. Cause as long as you're trying, you're doing good. So that, that's sort of a old guy advice um, uh, on who to do next. Uh, there's a guy in Sweden, uh, Lars Albertson, who talks about data ops and data architecture. I just think it's really good. And um, uh, I, he, um, He's on Twitter, he has a really good feed and he's uh, uh, kind of an influencer on, on himself. And I, I think you should talk to him because he's just like, um, he's, uh, he's wicked smart. <laughs> nice. <laughs> As they say in Boston. <laughs> That's awesome, love it. Awesome, well, uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time, this was fantastic. And just a quick reminder, don't forget next week we have the Knowledge Graph Conference. Uh, you can go get your tickets at knowledgegraph.tech when use of discount code CCKGC. And next week we're talking to Mitish Karia, who is the CDO and the CTO of the Zebra. And we're gonna be talking about how to scale your data organization. So starting small and getting how you wanna go scale that up. Chris, thanks again. This was fantastic. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Appreciate it.